Hey, thank you for checking out our sermons online at Coastal Community Church. We're so glad that uh, you're using these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth. But one of the things we're really passionate about at Coastal is that you have a local church. And so while we encourage you to, to make use of these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth, if you don't have a local church, we would encourage you to find a Bible-believing uh, church in your community. If you live in our community, we'd love for you to visit with us. So we uh, are in Yorktown, Virginia. We meet on 101 Village Avenue, and we would love for you to come and check us out. We have three sermons service times, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 and, uh, on Sunday morning. And so if you live in the Virginia area and the Yorktown area on the peninsula, we would love for you to come and check us out. We're going to be starting a, a new sermon series um, here in the, in the late winter uh, called Beginnings. And we're going to look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And that's going to be covering creation to Noah. And, uh, you know, this is an important series for us as we uh, at Coastal like to lift up the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason it's important is kind of like when you're at the mall and you're trying to find a store and you, and you look at the map on the mall. And if you don't know where you are, where your beginning place is, which usually on a map is marked with a big red X that says you are here. If you don't know your starting point, then you don't know where you're going. And so we think the beginning book of the Bible, Genesis, is very important for us to understand how and why we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we hope you'll investigate for the next eight weeks uh, the series that we're doing together called Beginnings. Good morning, church. Great to see you. It was great singing praise to our Savior, isn't it? And this morning we're going to talk about salvation. And uh, man, I hope you leave encouraged this morning and motivated um, to worship Christ in all things. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 8. And uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to do one more week in, um, in the story of Noah. And we're going to talk about how God saved Noah and his family and run that through the New Testament. We're going to talk about how God saves you and I today through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I, if you've ever uh, left your house and thought about, man, I think I, I think I may have left the iron on, okay? And this is what separates the optimist from the pessimist. Um, the optimist assumes they didn't and goes on with their day, right? And I, I, I honor you people. I don't know how you do that, right? The pessimist... Those of us who are pessimists, like if you're, you know, and I know you know who you are, this is how you think. Not only is that iron going to burn my house to the ground, right? It's probably going to catch all the neighbor's houses on fire, of which my insurance won't cover it, and I'll be on the hook for building three houses, right? And so, and so that's how we think, right? And so when you remember that, you head home and you, and you go home, you're late for work, and you turn off the iron, and once you get there, you realize it was already off, and you wish you were an optimist. Okay, so uh, that's how you work, right? And so uh, today we're going to look at a, at a verse of Scripture, and we'll unpack it correctly, but it says that God remembered Noah. Right, and so last week we talked about judgment, and really we've spent three weeks on this idea of sin, and we've been going through the first eleven chapters of Genesis, called the series Beginnings, and and we've approached it theologically. I believe that God is teaching us things about Himself and about mankind and about the need for salvation, and um, <clears throat> so today we're going to look at, at, at Genesis chapter 8. And so three weeks of the heaviness of sin, the fall of mankind, the, how sin kind of works in our hearts. And last week we talked about, man, what, what happens when sin goes corporate and God eventually judges sin. And one of the things we learned last week, God is always going to judge sin. 
And that should weigh on us, and it, should, it really should be heavy on us to the point that we recognize our need for salvation. Now, you know, if, you, if you're new to church life, you're going to hear the word saved, or if you're old to church life, uh, being saved sounds like some kind of 70s church gone bad, okay? And, and what we need to recognize is that we do need saving from God's very character, his holiness and his justice and his judgment. And, and our sin has earned us something, according to Scripture, it's earned us death. And, but we can be saved from death, both, both uh, spiritually speaking and, and have eternal life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we see here in, in Genesis 8 this, this idea of God saving man. And it starts with Noah and his family. And, and they come through safely the judgment of God in the flood. And now they're on the ark. And in Genesis chapter 8 verse 1 it says this it says but God remembered Noah I'm reading out of the wrong version I got to get this right here we go but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were in, with him in the ark and God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided I want to encourage you this morning I want to pull out three points out of Genesis 8 number one God has always graciously remembered his people and his promises. Okay, you guys are sound asleep this morning. That should wake you up, okay? God has always graciously remembered his people and his promises. That's good news. It's the word grace, okay? And God has been gracious to us. And by the way, the idea here is not like, like God forgot Noah. Like, you know, you leave your house and you're like, oh man, I forgot I have a cake in the oven. Okay, oh man, I forgot Noah was in the ark. It's not like that. It's not that our God dozes off to sleep and he forgets. The idea is of God remembering his people and showing compassion and mercy and grace upon his sovereignly chosen children. Now this is where understanding the original audience is very, very important. If you remember, I told you at the beginning that that Genesis was written by Moses to the children of Israel as they were being saved from Egyptian slavery. And you probably know, if you've been in church life any length of time, you know the stories of all the miracles of Moses, right? That God used Moses to display his power. And he used all these miracles to convince Pharaoh to let his people go with the crossing of the Red Sea eventually, right? And so the people, the children of Israel, would know what it's like to suffer for a length of time, to suffer suffer and be in slavery and then to be freed or to be saved. In fact, Moses says in Exodus chapter 2 verse 23, it says, during those many days the king of Egypt had died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and what's it say? God did what? He remembered, right? And so the people of Israel that are reading this text probably just being freed from slavery crossing the, crossing the wilderness to the promised land would say, oh yes, we remember what God did when God remembered us when God chose to save us and to intervene. And so God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and he, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You know, these recently freed Hebrew slaves would have received this word with joy, and they would have known what it means when God saves us. And guess what, church? We have the same hope today. We've been saved 
from what we deserve through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, uh, all the way from Genesis, all the way to eternity future, he saves his people, whether it's many or few, we don't know, but he's always saving his children and he saves them completely from beginning to end. It's his grace to us. In fact, the apostle Paul gives us some insight into this in Ephesians 1. Now, uh, here's what I'm going about to do. Okay, I'm about to take you on a little bit of a journey. I want to give you the roots of grace, okay? And, and what that means is we have to kind of venture into the mind of God. And I'm always, I'm always nervous when people say, hey, Pastor, I have this theological question. They want me to venture in. What do you think God was thinking? I get really nervous with that. Like, I don't know. Well, my God, you know. But there are glimpses in Scripture where we do get the mind of God. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian and God has saved you and he has bestowed grace and he has bestowed mercy on you so that you're one of his children, Ephesians 1 gives us a little hint into the mind of God. What was God thinking about the people he saved? Check this out. Ephesians 1 verse 3, the apostle Paul says this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he did what? What did God do? He chose us in him before the foundations of the world. I want you to hear this. This backs up because we just went through Genesis 1, the creation, right? And I want you to see that Paul says, even before God put uh, material creation in order, he had in his mind the people, the children that he was going to adopt into his family and he was going to save them. Am I the only one wild by that? Like if you're here today and you're saying, like you're a Christian, God in eternity past had in his mind his affection on you. Isn't that incredible? He chose us for the foundation of the world that we should be holy and we should be blameless before him. By the way, that's the doctrine of justification, that by grace through faith, we bend the knee to the lordship of Christ, the righteousness of Christ is credited to us by grace through faith. So now we stand in his presence holy and blameless. We talked about that last week. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious what? It's the roots of grace. It's God's choosing. Which he has blessed us in the beloved, Paul says. I can't get my mind around this. By the way, if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I wonder why God chose to save me. Why would God choose to save me? Well, verse 5 tells us, because he wanted to. Right? Why did God save me? Because it pleased him to do that. And that's very humbling to me. You know, as a follower of Christ, I mean, there's a part of me that's like, hey, doesn't God remember the times in my life when I was in rebellion to him? Yep. He saved me anyway. Listen, there was a time in my life, and maybe some of yours, maybe you're just coming around this. I, I told God to leave me alone. I'm so thankful he didn't. Why didn't he leave me alone? Because he didn't want to. 
I mean, I mean if, I was, if I was God and I wanted to make sure everybody in the world knew about my son Jesus Christ in this culture, I'd probably choose the athletes, right? I'd choose the professional athletes because they always got a camera on them. They always got a microphone. I, I'd probably choose the Hollywood elites, right? Why didn't God choose them? I mean, doesn't God know that I'm athletically limited? Not in my mind, but in real life, okay? Like... I mean, if I was God and I wanted to save the world and make sure everybody knew about the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would choose the really smart people. I didn't know I'm academically limited. Like, man. I mean, doesn't God remember me in high school when I wore headgear all day with my braces like Darla and Finding Nemo and everybody called me Goober, right? Choose someone else, God. You know, this, this, this one ain't a mountain too much kind of thing. Yes, my parents made me do that. I've forgiven them. Okay, so um, they're probably going to listen to this later this week. Love you, Mom and Dad. Anyway, so um, thanks for the headgear. I got straight teeth. So here we go, all right? God saved me in spite of myself, right? And some of you are sitting here, like, as I'm telling it, and you know your story, and you know where you were, and God reached down, he saved you. Why did he save you? Because he wanted to. Ephesians 2, Paul goes on to say this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul goes on, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What is Paul saying? He's talking about the sin nature. It's what we've been talking about for three weeks. We are born into sin. What we deserve is the wrath of God. What you deserve is the wrath of God. What Sean Brown deserves is the wrath of God. Verse 4, but God being rich in what? Mercy, man, he's merciful to us. And because of his great what? Love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by what? Grace that you have been saved you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been saved because God is a gracious God and he loved you in spite of yourself. Now, I know some of you right now are like, you're on the edge of your seat, right? You're theological. There's two camps right now if you're real theologically astute and you, carry a lot of, you care a lot about soteriology. I don't even know what that word means. Anyway, so uh, like if you're in those camps, you're like, is he talking about predestination and election? Yes. Now, that doesn't take away the need to respond to the gospel. And that doesn't take away that a church should be passionate about missions. Those are the means of grace to which God saves his children. But as a Christian, listen, if you're uncomfortable with those truths of Scripture, here's why you're uncomfortable. You have forgotten the, the, the image that Pastor Andrew gave us a couple weeks ago with Plato Man. Remember that where he talked about Adam and Eve rebelled against God? And he said, what did Adam and Eve deserve at that moment? To be crushed. And for God to say, I'm done and I'm starting over. You deserve that and I deserve that. And until we come to grips with how heinous our sin is and our rebellion to God, do we understand the need for grace for God to reach down even when you were dead in your sins and pluck you out and save you? 
That is the grace of God. And if your heart has been made alive to the things of God this morning, it's because God wanted to do it. Isn't that great news? What I like to do now, with that in mind, is come back to Genesis 8.1. And I, I, want, I, want you to, I want you to put your own name into Genesis 8.1. But God remembered Noah. But God remembered Sean Brown. And God remembered Peter. God remembered James. God remembered Cheryl. God remembered Josh, and we could go on and on and on until I named everybody in this room. God, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, God remembered you. Not that you were forgotten. He plucked you out of where you should be, and he saved you by his grace. And the rest of this passage of Genesis 8 is really a great reflection in Noah's life of what a person that has been saved by God's grace, what that looks like. And so this morning, we're, we're going to conclude, we're actually going to conclude with the overflow of what a person filled with the, with the love and the grace of God because of God's grace to us, what, how they should respond. So that's not going to be our conclusion, but here we go, ready? Number two, this is the overflow, what it means to be saved by grace. We patiently wait on God's final salvation. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you've been saved by God's grace. We patiently wait on God's final salvation. So, so Noah's on the ark. The ark comes to rest on Mount Ararat, okay? And now, now Noah's in this waiting game. I don't know if you know this. He doesn't get out of the ark immediately, right? Verse 4 of Genesis chapter 8, in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made. Okay? And then what we read next is Noah goes through a series of sending birds out. He sends a raven out. It comes back. A dove out. It comes back. Sends another dove out. Comes back with something in his mouth. Another dove he sends out. And finally, this dove doesn't come back. What's Noah doing? He's trying to find out if dry land has appeared. But here's what I want you to know. Noah lived over 200 days on the ark after the flood had subsided. So it comes to rest. He's still on the ark. Man, God, I thought you were taking us to the promised land. Which, by the way, this is where we got to remember the original hearers, right? The original hearers have been saved. They've escaped Egypt. They're now in the wilderness. They're being told about a promised land. But they're not there yet. It's a great metaphor for our spiritual journey, right? It's what I'm calling the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Has Jesus' kingdom come now? Yes. Is it not yet? Yes. You're not home yet. You're in this in-between time. And so in this in-between time, we learn some things from Noah. Noah had to be patient, right? He had to be patient on God's final salvation, God's final redemption. God's work is finished, but it's not finished. It's now and it's not yet. We see God's kingdom some, but we don't see it fully. If you're like me, you're like, I want to see God's kingdom completely now because I want, to be, I want to be sin free and I don't want to see any more brokenness and I don't want to see any more justice and I don't want to see any more pain, both emotional, spiritual, or physical. I want to see with my eyes how all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes, 828, Romans 8.28. I want to see that, right? Man, I want to see that. But we wait. And how do we wait? We wait in faith. 
We wait in faith. Noah had to wait in faith. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? His final words on the cross. It is what? It's finished. Well, if it's finished, why don't we see it all just yet? What he was declaring is this was the beginning of the final act of redemption. I like the, the illustration I have in my mind is kind of that of D-Day, right? D-Day in World War II. I mean, D-Day, taking that beachhead was the key to victory. And so, yeah, you, you could have in some ways declared on the, when D-Day was over and the Allies had victory, taking the Normandy shores, you could have declared victory because we had a foothold. Jesus declared it is finished. It's the beginning of his final act of redemption. The ark had landed. They were done. God's judgment was receding, but there were still 220 days of patience and faith, waiting. Which means we have to have faith. What is our faith? Well, first of all, our faith is in the, this is why the resurrection of Christ is so important. We know that, that by his resurrection, he authenticated his claims that he's going to finish what he started. If there, that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if there's no resurrection of Jesus, just go about your business and do something else. But if there is a resurrection of Jesus, it's the beginning of a final act of redemption that you and I get to be a part of. And so in the meantime, we're patient, we have faith, and we wait on God's timing. We wait on God's timing. We must believe that God knows his best timing. And why do we have to wait on God's timing? The reason we have to wait on God's timing is God's timing reveals his greatest glory. You ever think about what God's about? God is about revealing his greatest glory. That's the, that's the highest purpose that God can have. And so God knows the greatest timing for him to get the greatest glory in his, for his character. His love, his grace, his mercy, his holiness, his wrath, his judgment. He knows the timing. So let me, let me make that really practical to you. Like if you're a parent here today and you have a wayward child that you've been praying to be saved from the penalty of their sin so that they might know Christ like and you've been praying about that and you've and been agonizing about that God has a timing if you're here this morning and you're like man I'm just I'm tired of suffering like I'm in pain and and, and listen I'm a wimp man when I go to the doctor and I got an upper respiratory infection and they tell me there's nothing they can do about that. I say, give me something. A placebo is fine. Like, just give me something, man. I want it gone now. Right? God, why don't you relieve this pain? Like, what? You know, I want it gone now. And so we have to be patient and wait in God's timing that he's going to use our pain and our difficulty and our suffering to reveal his greatest glory in his timing. And so Noah reveals for us this in-between time that we are in now as we journey, you know, like the, like the children of Israel growing across the desert to the promised land. We are heading, we're in the desert, we're heading to the promised land. God has already saved us. It's, go, it, it's a sure thing in Christ that it will find its completion. But we are in this in-between time where we journey with patience, we journey with faith, and we're waiting on God's timing. The third thing I want you to see is the overflow of the heart of Noah, okay? And worship, if you're here this morning and you've received God's grace, you're a follower of Christ because of his grace to you, the overflow of receiving God's grace is worship. Worship is the overflow of receiving God's grace. Check this out in Genesis chapter 8, verse 18. So Noah went out 
and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with them. And every beast and every creeping thing and every bird and everything that moves on the earth went out by family from the ark. Verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered the burnt offerings on the altar. So what does Noah do? I mean, this passage is fascinating to me. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. You put me on a boat for 378 days with eight people and a reduced number of the animal population. I'm not sure the first thing I'm doing is sacrificing one of them, right? I mean, you imagine what the bottom of that boat smelled like? Woo! Okay. I know what one little dog, an eight-pound dog. I know how that thing stinks up the place, right? Anyway, you all can imagine. I mean, if it's me, like, I'm... I'm building shelter, right? I'm getting out of the smell of that ark. And the last, and I'm doing whatever is in my power to encourage these animals to reproduce. Okay, because I don't want to kill one of them right away. When you've been saved by grace, and when you understand all the stuff I talked about at the beginning, that God, because he wanted to, because it pleased him to save you, when that happens, you can't help but the overflow of that to be worship. And worship is very often about firsts. It's the first things in your life. Noah gets off the boat. First thing he did was worship God. In fact, in the New Testament, we see that the early church, if you're wondering why we don't worship on Saturday, why we worship on Sunday, because the early church chose the first day of the week, the day of Christ's resurrection, to to establish corporate worship. The Bible often talks about, when it comes to giving and tithing, it often talks about first fruits. I don't know if you know what first fruits are, but but first fruits, I want you to think about this in an agrarian culture, okay? In an agrarian culture, you would plant, you would harvest, and your harvest would get you through the winter, Okay, and then by the time uh, the next year would come around, your your food supply would be running low, and you needed that crop that following year to have a successful crop in order to live another year. If you can imagine that, and so can you imagine mid to late summer when your first fruits begin to come in? I don't know about you, but I don't. It'd be difficult to give it away. Why? Because a hailstorm or a flood could wipe out the rest of my crop. I don't have anything to eat next year. Yet God says, listen, I want you to trust me and I want you to give the first fruits. That's the overflow of a person whose heart's been captured by grace. We bring our best when we were. If you've been saved by grace, you bring your best. There's some of you in this room and you have an incredible talent that God has given you to serve the Lord and to serve this body of Christ. And somehow you've managed to talk yourself out of being needed. Or maybe with your talent, you work there all week. You're like, I work in there. I don't want to give to God's church. Or maybe your idea is, I got burned at my last church. But you're, you're saving your best as talent. And you're not serving Christ. Those who have been saved by grace, the overflow is worship. And it's about firsts and it's about bests. Which leads to the second one. Noah brought a sacrifice, right? It it cost Noah something. When you've been saved by grace and you understand, man, God gave the ultimate sacrifice of my son, Jesus Christ. I also want to give. I want to be sacrificial. I've told you this story before. Uh, I heard it from, uh, this will tell you how old you are. This is a story that was from Paul Harvey, right? Now you know the rest of the, what, the story. Okay, there's seven of us that heard Paul Harvey. But he he told the story of... 
a lady um, that was cleaning out her freezer one day. And um, she had had this freezer for about 30 years. And in the back of her freezer, she hadn't seen this for many, many years. She found a, a butterball turkey. And uh, this turkey, because uh, it had a date on it, was 23 years old. And so she found out that Butterball had a hotline that you could call to talk to them about preparing your turkey. So she calls the Butterball hotline. And she says, listen, I found this turkey in the back of my freezer. This turkey's 23 years old. Do you think it's still safe to eat? And the Butterball consultant said, well, did your freezer ever shut off? At any time, did you lose power or has it always been frozen? And she goes, as far as I know, it's always been frozen. And so the Butterball turkey consultant said, well, it should be safe. But it's probably not going to be any good. Like at this point, it's probably lost its flavor and the meat's going to be tough. You know, you're probably not going to want to serve it. And this lady said, that's what I thought. I'll give it to my church. (laughs) It's amazing how we think like that, right? Listen. Listen, if you did this, please forgive me for using this illustration, but... uh, But I lived through the transition of the flat screen TV from the big boxy TVs. Remember those, right? You want to know what happened during that transition? Guess what the church got donated? Like, hey, we are so serious about proclaiming the name and fame of Jesus Christ to our children's ministry and our youth ministry. I'm going to get me a flat screen, but you all could have the big boxy one, right? We did that for years, you know. And I was like, shouldn't we give the flat screen to the children that are hearing about Jesus, right? Worship's about sacrifice. When you've been saved by grace, you're sacrificial. And by the way, let me, let me, let me just, let me say something really cool about Coastal Community Church. Like if, if you're here this morning, you're new to Coastal and you're sitting in this new location, I can tell you right now, you're sitting here because Coastal and the members and regular tenders, man, they've been on a three-year journey where I have seen incredible sacrifice of worship to our God and to the gospel of Christ, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've seen people give incredible amounts of time so that you could sit here in this building and worship the Lord this morning. I've seen the saints of God, the people who have been saved by grace, give incredible amounts of talent. This church was donated talents that if we had to pay for, we wouldn't be sitting here yet. That's how much talent was donated. I've seen many, many people donate a sacrifice of, of finances so that we could be sitting here. This is a remarkable church of people that understand the grace of God and give sacrificially as worship. The Apostle Paul takes this in Ephesians chapter 5, the same idea, right? Ephesians 5, 2, where he says, and he's commanding this church, this small struggling church in Ephesus. He says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The overflow of being saved by grace is that we model our Savior Jesus Christ and we're sacrificial people. And the Bible says it's a fragrant offering, right? And by the way, have you ever thought about this? Like the Bible often says fragrant offering, fragrant aroma. What's he talking about? You ever been out on your back porch on a nice day like last night, nice night last night, and your neighbor's grilling out? And you're like, man, I wish I was grilling out. I've invited myself over just from the aroma. Like, man, that smells amazing. What time are we eating? You know, and 
I, th I think God actually gave us that to go, this is what it smells like when my people give sacrificially in honor to Christ. There is a smell to it. Y'all are going to think differently about your steak on the barbie, aren't you? Like, well, I never thought of that. I think God gave us that. And so as followers of Jesus, we've been saved by grace. The Holy Spirit now lives inside of us and it molds us into the image of Christ so that we can offer ourselves sacrificially to God and to others. I've been using the phrase that I stole from Pastor Andrew that we should go to bed tired. Why should we go to bed tired? Because we're giving of ourselves sacrificially because we've been saved from the penalty of our sin by the grace of God. Which leads me to my final point here this morning, that those who have been graciously saved by God cannot help but sing his praise. Those who have been graciously saved by God cannot help but sing his praise. We, we as a people should bring a sacrifice of praise. Now, I'm not getting this specifically from Genesis chapter 8, although I suspect it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that Noah gathered his family up and they sang songs of praise, but I don't know that. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, Therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of what, church? Of praise, right? A sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. My, my desire for us as a church is to be a singing church. Why? Because when we've been captured in worship, when our hearts have been captured with the grace of God, the natural overflow of that is to sing praises to God. And we see that all throughout Scripture. And when people are saved and they see God moving and they've contemplated the hand of God in saving them, the natural overflow is that they're, they're going to be people that sing and so I want us to be a people that come prepared to sing. And I hope you've been captured by grace. And as I'm calling, here's my conclusion this morning, is we're just going to sing. But I, I want to, I know some of you are like, yeah, let's go. And the band was great, getting shut up and sit down. Okay, but here we go, ready? Listen, I, I want to just, I want to, don't go out of here mad. Just, just hear me for a minute, okay? This is the 9.30 service, the 8 o'clock service. We have the 11 o'clock service. Like, it is not uncommon for us to start a service, and there's, it's like a third full. And I'm thinking, oh, man, nobody's coming this morning. And then by the time it starts, it's like everybody kind of filters in, and I get it, and ch children's check-in can be backed up and parking, and we got a lot of constraints like that. But I just want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ and your heart's been captured by grace, just let me just challenge you a little bit. Like, get here on time. And if that means you got to leave a few minutes early, and again, I know it's tough, and this is not, like, I'm not yelling at you, okay, but I, I'm, I'm encouraging you because I want your heart to say, man, I've been captured by grace. God has saved me. I want to gather corporately with other believers, and I want to sing from the very first song at Coastal Community Church. Why? Because we've been captured by grace. I want us, I, I don't want us to sit here during our, our music time and go, man, I, I don't even, I don't like this style of music, right? I mean, my hope is that you've been, you've been captured by grace and whether it's your style or not, you say, man, I want to, I want to sing these truths to God and about God with other brothers and sisters in Christ and I want to sing it because I have been saved 
I want you to contemplate your salvation. I want you to consider that the God of the universe, before he created the world, Ephesians 1, set his affection upon you and adopted you into his family because he wanted to, because it pleased him. And the overflow of going, man, I have received God's grace, is that I want to praise God with my lips. And so here's my conclusion this morning. I'm going to close this with prayer. And it's going to be a silent prayer. Actually, I'm not going to pray. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to close our eyes. And I want you to think about your salvation that God has granted you. Foreshadowed in Noah, fulfilled in Christ. And so no one's going to lead us out loud. I just want you in your heart, in your mind, silent moments to set your affections on the God that saves and before we do this, I do want to remind you, if you have a prayer need, if you want to talk to someone, man, how do, how do, what does salvation look like? After the service in our prayer chapel, we have people that will pray with you, minister to you through prayer, and talk to you about what it means to be saved. But here's how we're going to close. I want everybody to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to prepare this morning to bring a sacrifice of praise, a song to God because you have been saved by His grace. The God who has sovereignly saved us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And after a moment of prayer and preparation and thanksgiving, we are going to stand and we are going to sing to God's goodness who has saved us. Bow your head and pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship our wonderful and good God who provided, amen, who provided.